and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics Newsfeed. 2023's theme is Circular Cosmetics. This month's topic is Skin Microbiome, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. The skin is home to a diverse ecosystem of bacteria, essential for maintaining skin health. In recent years, the beauty industry has recognised the importance of the skin microbiome, leading to innovative product development and new marketing strategies. Yet as this category scales, the question remains, how will the industry ensure it respects and supports the natural planet's ecosystem? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce you to this month's panel. Hello and welcome back to Harold van der Hoeven, Director, Product Design and Development at CLR Berlin. A warm welcome back to Elsa Jungmann, Founder and CEO at Hello Biome. And hello to Mallory Hurum, Beauty and Wellness Strategist at Fashion Snoops. Harold, let's start with you. What are the consumer challenges and where are the opportunities for circular, sustainable microbiome ingredients? There are quite quite a few, but essentially the opportunity lies in the fact that the consumer in general is interested in both sustainability, circularity, and also the skin microbiome, where their interest in the skin microbiome comes from, their interest in, in, in the gut microbiome, and their interest in using products or consuming products which, is, which are good for the gut microbiome. They see a link with their health. Health is very important for the consumer nowadays. So there's plenty of opportunity. And the challenges lies in getting them the right products and getting them to appreciate that they get the right products in the sense of also educating them. And that is where I see the biggest challenge. The consumer realizes there's something good to microbes as well as there are bad microbes. So they would like to do something good for the skin microbiome. On the other hand, they're still in the dark of what can be done and why is it good, etc., etc. So consumer, let's say education is something or at least communication with the consumer is something we should really pick up as, a, as an industry. And uh, on the other hand, it's a young science. Uh, the skin microbiome science is young and we're still finding out stuff. And especially in the context of cosmetic problems in cosmetic challenges, sensitive skin, aging skin, baby care, these kinds of things. We're still learning. And what are the consumer challenges and where are the opportunities for testing circular microbiome products, Elsa? Hi, so for testing circular microbiome products, I think that there are at the same time challenges and opportunity. In the sense of opportunities, thanks to the fact now that, for example, sequencing is more affordable than it was some years ago, there are ways to be able to collect and run clinical microbiome studies at a more affordable price than it was just like in 2020, for example. Same with in vitro models, we see more and more models available to be able to test the impact of a formulation of an ingredient on the skin microbiome. I believe that the challenges are for those in vitro models that we still need some in vivo validation in a way. And I'm hoping that we will be reading more about that in the coming months or year. On the clinical part, the challenges is about truly understanding what a baseline is when you conduct a clinical and how you can define it to make sure that you collect the proper data. 
And also the challenges, of course, are on the regulatory side. And I'll be happy to talk more about that at the next question. And what are the challenges and where are the opportunities for circular microbiome consumer products within the wellness category, Mallory? I completely agree that uh, the biggest challenge is clearing up misinformation about pre and pro and postbiotics. We're living in an age now where we have information overload. And while knowledge sharing is really helpful, especially on forums like TikTok, um, there can be quite a bit of conflicting information about what's good for you. How do you take uh, probiotics? Do they work topically? Do they not? There's a, so much misinformation and consumers are really getting confused about who to believe and who not to believe. So I completely agree that consumer education is a really important step in adopting circular microbiome products. It's buzzy, but do they really understand it? And I think that this is where industry experts can be very helpful in leading this effort. The cosmetic chemists, dermatologists, trusted industry healthcare professionals are the ones who are really going to have to lead this charge of letting consumers know, okay, this is what a prebiotic is. Here's how it works. Here's what a probiotic is. Here's the extent to which we know as of right now that these things work topically. Here's how best to take them. And so I think that having those thought leaders really spearhead this conversation will do a lot of good in clearing up consumer misinformation. And then the other opportunity and challenge that I see within this space is continuing the effort of explaining biotech to consumers. These ingredients are being manufactured large in part with biotechnology you know, advancements. And so I think, you know, because we're still living in an era where consumers don't understand the difference between what everything is, of course, a chemical, but we still live in this anti-chemical movement within skincare and wellness. Um, and there's many brands and industry professionals who are trying to clear that up. But I think that in a, a movement where so much of ingredient innovation is relying on biotechnology, it's really important to educate consumers about, okay, this is why this technology is safe. We're replicating a naturally microbiome supporting ingredient that we can't harvest from nature because it's unsustainable. And just because we're recreating it or generating it in a lab doesn't mean that it's bad. Synthetic does not equal bats. And so trying to explain to them what is safe, what isn't, what works, what doesn't is going to be key in really making this a trustworthy category that consumers feel like they can make an informed decision about entering. When talking biotech, Harold, what are the technical challenges and where are the, are the opportunities for circular, sustainable microbiome ingredients? Biotech is a potent technology with which we can make ingredients, active ingredients, which are good or maybe even more than good and really supportive of the, for the skin microbiome. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a biotech-based technology which we use. We focus on biotech at CLR a lot because we've been doing so since, I think, about 50 years now, since the 70s. Biotech is not a new technology. It is just a technology which has gone through phases of, let's say, improvement. And it's getting lots of attention now. And it's getting lots of attention for good reason, because it's a very potent technology when used in the right way. And that is something we focus on a lot. Biotech is not necessarily a 
from the start at least, a sustainable technology. It is only a technology with which we can make sure to use as little raw materials as possible from nature. So we don't take anything from nature. We ferment, we use fermenters. That's where we grow bacteria. That's where we use those bacteria for the production of certain molecules, which are then good for skin or the skin microbiome. But factors like energy consumption, water consumption also take part in this, let's say, discussion of whether this technology is not just, let's say, productive and leading to good products, but also from a sustainability point of view. Lots of trial and error, lots of pushing buttons and turning buttons and trying to optimize things, very time consuming. But in the end, we're getting there. We develop biotech-based products which take, on average, three to five years. We have finished not just the product development, but also the process development, making it effective in the end, the active ingredients, but also sustainably produced. Indeed. And what are the technical challenges and where are the opportunities for testing circular microbiome cosmetic products, Elsa? That's a really good question. I think the opportunities are that a lot of company, testing company, leverage more the tech and are able to make more accessible consumer testing. It has become more affordable, I believe, and also faster to execute at a higher scale. The challenges remain, what is the protocol you want to design when it comes to your study? One of the major impact I see is, especially if you want to test the impact of a particular product, Do you ask participants to simply swap a product, even if you know that the rest of their routine may not be microbiome friendly or have a focus on the microbiome, or do you ask them to entirely switch a regimen? There is that part, and the other part that can be a challenge also, I would say, is how you sequence. There are so many different types of sequences available on the market, from like qPCR to shotgun sequencing, where you can have a very high-level view up to a very narrow one on the metabolism. And it's about being able to compare what is the best regarding the objective of what you have with your study and how you're trying to understand the impact of your cosmetic or regimen on the skin microbiome. And what are the technical challenges and where are the opportunities for circular microbiome cosmetic products within the wellness category, Mallory? So just speaking from a purely trend perspective in wellness and skincare, I think one of the most interesting areas that we've been tracking and following has been the exploration of live cultures for topical microbiome products. Obviously, there's a lot of, from what I've read at least, there's been a lot of failed experiments in that case, but there also is some promising uh, developments and innovation happening. And the The science is still developing where that's concerned, but I think certainly because consumers are looking for microbiome products and topical is one of the easiest ways for you to become involved in the microbiome support of their skin, that it's natural that a consumer who takes a probiotic for their wellness is going to look for that same technology in a topical product. That's been an area that we've seen is very interesting in terms of the technical challenges. And you touched on it earlier, Harold, but what are the environmental challenges and where are the opportunities for circular, sustainable microbiome ingredients? 
There are many of them. <laughs> As I mentioned just now, the use of water, the use of energy for fermentation processes uh, to minim minimize those factors is something which takes a lot of experimenting, trying out and trial and error. Definitely lots of errors, but from errors you, you learn as well. And after that, you will find a rationale for how your process will work best. But every product is different. Every bacterium is different and therefore growing differently under different circumstances. And sometimes they need something else than other bacteria and so on. So there's a lot of uh, degrees of freedom. And essentially, the opportunity lies in basically common sense, I would say, just rational and analytical thinking. That's something we like very much. Uh, that's what Germans are <laughs> well known for. I'm Dutch myself, so I'm less well known for that, but I'm trying at least. I live in Germany. But it's rational, analytical thinking, and it's basically behaving like a four-year-old when it comes to developing an active ingredient, including developing a sustainable but, let's say, high-quality production process. That's where you need to behave like a four-year-old and ask questions constantly. Why, how, where, who, etc., etc. And step-by-step, uh, step we're getting to a product. It takes a few years sometimes, even five years, as I mentioned. But in the end, a good product will come out. And questioning, that's a quite an interesting concept. So what are the environmental challenges and where are the opportunities for testing microbiome cosmetic products, Elsa? I'm sure you do a lot of questioning. Yes, I like the four-years-old reference. That's exactly that. And we get a lot of those questions from companies who are trying to test their product and really challenging us. I think what is interesting now is that more and more companies offer the services to test from home, which I think make it more sustainable in a way because you don't need to use all those clinical centers to have people to come there. People can test as simply in their home by following instruction and a video and registering on a platform. So that's, I think this is great, especially when you're trying to scale up your data collection and get more diverse participants, which is very important, and not have only participants who are available to go to the clinical center to do the study. That's one thing. And I think the development also of in vitro tests is, is interesting to be able like that to assess at a lower cost also and in a more controlled way the product. What's interesting with microbiome product is that I think they are more environmentally friendly in general as well. And maybe that reflects in, in the testing because when you want to formulate for the skin microbiome, you have to remove certain type of ingredient and favorite over that usually are more in line with more sustainable and more environmental friendly product as well because you also have to use less product in general and less ingredient in your formula or regimen. So that's it seems that everything goes together, which is very positive to observe and to be implementing. And for consumers, Mallory, what are the environmental challenges and where are the opportunities for circular microbiome cosmetic products within the wellness category? Well, this is an area that we are constantly tracking. And what I'd really like to speak to with this one is the greenwashing movement. Again, tapping into that idea of there's information overload, there's conflicting information, conflicting reports, even conflicting industry professionals on social media. So consumers are inundated with marketing and messaging that they don't understand and they don't know who to trust and nowhere 
is this more evident than within the quote-unquote green, clean beauty and wellness movement. We've seen little regulation within the U.S. Regulations, of course, exist um, elsewhere. It's really tough without that level of regulation, which we'll speak to in the next question more in depth. But without that, it's tough for consumers to know who to trust and what to trust and what is clean and organic. These words, of course, are meaningless in many markets because there's no meaning attached to them. And so I think greenwashing is still the biggest challenge posing any sustainable beauty or wellness product today. And we've, of course, we've watched this movement evolve from when the clean and green movement many years ago started to really pick up steam the initial focus was on all 100% all natural formulations. And, you know, you saw a lot of marketing language revolved around that with products. This 100% natural formulation, a product can be 100% natural and completely unsustainable. It could be harvesting at-risk crops. It could be using a ton of water and shipping it in plastic packaging. So it really doesn't matter if the formulation is 100% natural, if the total microbiome, if you will, of the product is damaging to the environment. And so I think that's an area where we're still really seeing a challenge. And of course, the natural opportunity to combat that challenge and to combat that greenwashing is within education, transparency, honesty, and authenticity. And we have seen some encouraging changes um, in that realm. We've seen brands become honest about being, of course, low waste as opposed to zero waste, because it's impossible to be zero waste. That's that's another marketing term that we see all the time. And it's impossible for any human who lives in this earth, let alone a brand, to be zero waste. And so I've seen brands take really bold steps by saying, we're low waste. Here's what we're doing to minimize our environmental impact. Here's what we're trying to do. Here are our goals. Here's how we're working on them. This is why we have this piece of plastic packaging on this moisturizer. And here's what we're doing and thinking about changing it. So I think honesty, transparency, authenticity. And again, tying back into the first question about industry leaders and experts needing to spearhead the movement to educate is going to be really important going forward to combat this greenwashing movement so consumers really understand and feel confident. So thinking about greenwashing, Harold, what are the regulatory challenges and where are the opportunities for circular, sustainable microbiome ingredients? Well, we have in Europe, as far as claims is concerned, because that's what you're basically talking about when it comes to greenwashing, you making a green claim about your product or sustainability. We have a claims regulation in Europe, in the EU, and then similar still also in the UK, and it won't change probably in the UK either, uh, where basically there's a long text, but in the end, basically you should keep your promises in the sense of if you're making a promise about your product, then you should keep that promise. And legislation is pretty strict. The authorities have little capacity, and that's a bit of a problem. Not much police people walking around checking on the industry, let's put it that way. And that goes for greenwashing and probably more so for the claims people are making about the efficacy of their product. So microbiome claims, good for the microbiome, balancing the microbiome or microbiome friendly even. Where's the proof? That's something people should always ask themselves. And that is not 
just a regulatory, let's say, opportunity or challenge. It is, above all, an opportunity for a brand and a product itself, because what was mentioned just now, it's honesty, transparency. These things matter, and consumers realize or appreciate that nowadays, that a brand which is honest and transparent to them, authentic to them, they will be interested in that. And that goes for all the aspects of any product you buy. And on our side at CLR, we have some regulation, but not much, but we're pushed by the government, more motivated by the government than by regulation, so to say, in the sense of product, produce your product sustainably, waste management, uh, these kinds of things. And ISO certifications like ISO 14001 or initiatives like EcoVaris or CDP, so the Carbon Disclosure Project, these are all things we're actively involved in. And thinking about proof, Elsa. What are the regulatory challenges and where are the opportunities for testing circular? I think that any claim that is being made, whether you know it's an ingredient manufacturer or it's a cosmetic brand, they need to substantiate the claim and show which data they have when they make such claim. I think that's the first thing because we still see on market, and I'm talking mostly about the US market, a lot of claims with absolutely no proof or no transparency from the manufacturer or the brand regarding where is that claim coming from? So that's one thing. And then when you do get data to substantiate your claim, I think ideally the best is to be transparent about that data. Was it an in vitro test? Was it a clinical test? On how many volunteers was it tested? For how long? All those are extremely important. And in terms of, uh, of challenges and opportunity at the same time, what I've learned as working on the testing side, on clinical testing, is that the more narrow you are with your claim, the less likely you may get into trouble. All I'm explaining is that we've seen some class action for companies who claim their product to be generally microbiome gentle, but they had some class action, I believe, in the US because the product contained, for example, preservatives. So people came after them to say, hey, how can you claim it's microbiome gentle if you have preservative in your formula? So the advice we got to avoid having any partners get into trouble with any data they will show is to be extremely precise when it comes to your claim. So instead of making broad claims, it seems like that you will be taking less risk if you say, my product is, let's say, microbiome supporting because we see a growth, I don't know, of 15% of staphylococcus epidermidides for this panel of volunteers because it's something people can less likely come after you as it's extremely precise. So that's, that would be the recommendation I have as it's what I've gotten from our legal counsel. But I think that any claim you want to do, it's very important to work with regulatory or legal experts in the field, because depending on the type of product you bring to market, the category of product you're in, which geography you are launching. All of that, I believe, will matter when it comes to the claim you, you decide to do. And thinking about class actions, Mallory, what are the regulatory challenges and where are the opportunities for circular microbiome cosmetic products within the wellness category? This is a really interesting area and one that we're really passionate about, um, just in terms of tracking the growth and expansion of the wellness movement. The wellness movement exists in this sort of gray area between health and supplements and ritual and topical products. It has a Venn diagram center of many 
industry, it's like the Wild West in terms of making unsubstantiated claims. And just as greenwashing is plaguing the sustainability movement, we're seeing unsubstantiated claims within wellness absolutely plaguing topical and adjustable products. Within supplements, this is an area that we see a lot, specifically for probiotics, prebiotics, postbiotics. There's a lot of conflicting information and there's a lot of bold claims, but also for topical products as well. Again, the idea of many products marketing themselves as microbiome friendly. We see that a lot and we see cosmetic chemists across social media platforms calling out products that build themselves as microbiome friendly and pointing out all the ingredients within them that are decidedly not very microbiome friendly. So again, you know, we know that consumers really want to be able to regulate their wellness and they're very invested and interested in this area, specifically within microbiome. The gut and skin connection is so strong. It's a huge trend across social media, but there's a lot of regulation that needs to happen in terms of how these products can market themselves. One good step that we've seen has been within fairly recent regulation of influencer marketing. And the idea that if there is someone who has any kind of free product or paid collaboration with a brand, now they at least have to put, for example, an Instagram hashtag ad. That took a long time to get to that point. Even now, it's not super well regulated. But at least you can't have, for example, an influencer making a completely hyperbolic claim about a microbiome product that has no bearing on reality without at least indicating that they are being paid by the brand to do so. So I think, and especially in an era when we know that so many consumers, especially younger consumers, are looking towards influencers and influencer marketing is so strong, little steps like this that target the real points of misinformation that are affecting consumers are very important. And so while it's going to take a while and a lot of regulation for the wellness industry itself to begin managing and taking responsibility for uh, marketing language, at least social media and regulation can crack down on some of these claims of efficacy and results that might not be rooted in reality. And finally, what would progress look like in the short term and long term, Harold, at CLR? That's a very good question. Well, at CLR, I would, I would basically put it a bit wider because at CLR, progress would mean develop further and better products, become more sustainable and all these, let's say, cliches. When it comes to the broader picture, the bigger picture, I think progress will be first found, I think, in just the realization of how important being sustainable as a human being, as a company is. It's not just important, it's essential. That's one. And on the other hand, uh, similar for, for the skin microbiome. The skin microbiome is essential for the quality of our skin. We cannot live without the skin microbiome for many reasons, but also the quality of our skin, let's say the cosmetic qualities of our skin, the hydration, the insensitivity, the robustness, etc. They play a huge role in these aspects of skin. And the skincare industry, the cosmetic industry as a whole, tends to be gimmicky and jumping on the trend train and then jumping off as soon as the interest goes down. And that's where the skin microbiome is far too important for that. That's one. So that realization, I think, should we should get it. It's not We're not there yet as far as I'm concerned. 
and two is the science. The science is still so young and within the industry, but also within academia, there are so many different opinions about skin microbiome. Just now it was mentioned elevating Staphylococcus epidermidis is good, or at least probably good. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing, so to say. So it's all in the balance. I don't think there are any good or bad bacteria. It's the mix, which is either good or bad. And so the whole composition, which is either good or bad, we in the past thought that Cutibacterium acnes uh, was the acne bacterium. So we should kill it to fight acne. Now we found out that C. acnes is a good guy and just a few strains of C. acnes play a negative role in acne much more nuance, much more ability or possibilities to then also deliver the consumer with better, more effective, milder, safer, more sustainable products. And the list goes on and on. I'm thinking about safer products, Elsa. What does progress look like at HelloBiome? Yeah, I think for me, progress would look like if we really see a shift in the industry because it's good to come and test your product but the truth is like Harold mentioned is the root of everything is actually what are you going to be putting on your skin and what type of product are you going to launch so it's to make sure and we hope to positively influence the industry towards developing and launching product that will not just be functional but actually life enhancing to the consumer because if they are more microbiome focused with data to prove it to make sure that actually they will help to prevent certain type of disease, as we see that a lot of cosmetic can be triggers to different type of skin conditions. So that's for me something extremely important to make sure that the product that will come to market, the next generation, will really have the microbiome on the top of their mind when it comes to formulation. And then the other thing, I think it's in terms of data, it's going to be very exciting in the microbiome world in general with the ability to really scale up data collection to really have an understanding of our skin profiles. Because today we continue to segment skin only based on dry, oily combination or sensitive. And this is extremely limiting in the opportunity to develop more targeted solution. And I hope that with the access to microbiome data, we will be able to recreate a new segmentation based mostly, I think, on our microbiome information that will really help to develop product that will be more efficient if we understand better what we are exactly targeting. And my hope also is that there will be more awareness for the consumer because I believe that microbiome is still not very accessible and it requires brands to continue to do a lot of education. So I'm hopeful that in the near future, in the medical world, there will be some new drug approved that will be really based on microbiome innovation that will bring more information to the consumer and a better understanding of why our microbiome is so important and why the product you use in your everyday life, even if they are not drugs, the laundry you use, the moisturizer, your body soap, that all of them, they will really try to understand what is the impact on that, on their microbiome and be more conscious to use product that will really enhance their life in a way and also push the brand to do the same. So that's my big hope, to really see that influence coming from a medical innovation to the beauty one. And at Fashion Snoops, Mallory, what does progress look like? I think that answer really hit the nail on the head about consumer adoption of microbiome-friendly skincare as a necessity, not as 
oh, I'm jumping on this new trend because I saw someone on TikTok and their skin is gorgeous. Just harnessing the power of the microbiome and appreciating that power because it's a necessity of life. I think we've come so far. I mean, we we're all in the business of cosmetic facing products, but I think the function of skin is as a protective organ. And it's really well designed biologically to, to carry out that function. And because we humans with our beauty standards have created different ways that we want our skin to look, it's not just about protecting our internal organs. It's about having glowy skin or matte skin or, you know, whatever the trending skin finish is for whatever month, month. And so I think consumers are getting closer to this point of recognizing my skin is not just a cosmetic facing thing. It's an organ that I need to take care of the same way I exercise for my heart and lung health, the same way I do any other wellness or personal care regime because I understand it as a health concern. And so I think the focus on the microbiome in that regard is growing and is incredibly important. Consumers are slowly adopting it. I think as we've spoken to in our conversation, education, transparency, authenticity is going to help accelerate that and create an environment of understanding and create clear information that consumers can understand. I also think, of course, increased cooperation and standardization of regulations is also going to be key for consumers to understand you know, they, they've adopted the gut skin access. That's something that consumers are very interested in. We also know that there's another layer as well. There's from the skin deep and, you know, what is happening on our skin can also sometimes affect even our emotional health. So there also is a lot to be done in regulating products that have a really strong effect on our inner wellness and our external comfort in terms of, you know, having calm, comfortable, clear skin. And lastly, I think the biggest area would be just biotech advancements, but also just new ingredient advancements. As was mentioned before, not all microbiome and not all sustainable microbiome ingredients are generated using biotech, but certainly some new ingredient updates to create products that are even easier for consumers to adopt, that are even more effective, that are going to really create buzz and enable consumers to hop on to this trend, I think would be some great progress to see. So uh, a year from now, consumers are clear on what the microbiome does. They are prioritizing their microbiome health and they can do it because there is clear, understandable information and products with great ingredients. And with that, I would like to thank my guests, Harold, Elsa and Mallory for joining me today and to you for listening.